0: Well, after Thanksgiving, our attention begins to turn toward Christmas. But this year, just kind of the way the calendar fell, uh, after Thanksgiving, there still felt like there was a lot of November left, and that Christmas was still pretty far away. Um, but after we started singing Christmas songs and decorations went up, it started to feel a little more like Christmas, um, maybe as you started wrapping presents, if you've done that already, uh, then it really starts to feel like Christmas around your house. And then school got out this week, and then, okay, now we're really counting down to Christmas. And uh, your kids and grandkids every day are probably thinking about, okay, how many days till we get to open presents? How many days until Christmas is it? And we start to uh, sort of bubble over with anticipation and expectation, and that's not just how we experience Christmas and the Christmas season, that's also the sense we get in Luke's telling of the Christmas story. Uh, Luke gives us the longest account of what happened uh, with the birth of Jesus, and what led up to the birth of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse... 57, and I'm going to read down to verse 80. So, Luke 1 57 to verse 80. And what we're going to see is that the story uh, continues to sort of raise our expectations, raise our anticipation as we move toward the birth of Jesus. Remember, already. Luke has told us about the announcement to Zechariah that his wife would bear a son. Though she had been barren, though they were both advanced in years, they were going to have a son, and their son was going to play a significant and important role. And then the angel, the same angel who spoke to Zechariah, came to Mary and told Mary that though she was a virgin, she too was going to bear a son, and that her son would be the Son of God, would be the Messiah, the promised King from David's line. And then Mary went to visit Elizabeth. And when she did so, Elizabeth uh, rejoiced and was full of the Spirit and called Mary the mother of my Lord and said that the baby in her womb, who would be John the Baptist, he leaped for joy at the arrival of Jesus and Mary, Jesus, of course, being in Mary's womb. And then uh, Mary uh, prayed this prayer or sang this song, right, that we call the Magnificat, uh, uh, starting in verse 46. And she praised the Lord for the great things that he has done for her. And then Mary remained with Elizabeth, it says, three months before she went home. And then it says this, beginning in verse 57, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through All the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, what's happening here is sort of the last big story before the biggest story, before the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. John the Baptist is finally being born, and it's possible that Mary was here to witness this, because we were told that uh, Elizabeth, when she conceived, as the angel said she would, she kept herself hidden for five months, and then when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have a son, it was Elizabeth's sixth month, and then Mary came to visit Elizabeth, and verse 56 says she stayed with her about Three months, So that's nine months. So it's possible that Mary was there when John was born. But either way, verse 57 says that it came time for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son just as the angel had said that she would. And her neighbors and relatives uh, heard about this. Verse 58 says uh, that the Lord has shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. I mean, this is the kind of story that everybody in the community hears about. Because Elizabeth has had no children. She's not been able to have children. She's long past the age when anybody would have expected her to have children. And now all of a sudden it seems she has had a child. And according to the Old Testament law, a male child was supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. That was part of God's covenant that he had made with his people. And so in verse 59, it says, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. That's what you did. And it says, and they, apparently meaning some of the community or relatives or whoever, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Now why they, you know, had a say in the naming of the child. I don't know, right? That's a little different than how uh, we maybe do it. But they they wanted him to be called Zechariah. They were kind of putting in their two cents maybe. And Elizabeth, the mother, said, no, 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 no. No, he's going to be called John. Now the angel had told Zechariah that they should call him John. But remember that Zechariah has not been able to speak since that time, because he didn't believe what the angel said. Remember, he said, how can I know that this is actually going to happen? How can I know that my wife is actually going to have a son? And Gabriel essentially said, well, I came from God's presence to tell you this. That ought to have been enough. Since you didn't listen and you didn't believe, you're not going to be allowed to talk or able to talk until these things are fulfilled. So how Elizabeth knew that he was supposed to be called John, I don't know. Maybe maybe she and Zechariah had figured out some way to communicate enough that he could pass that on to her. Uh, We're not sure. It doesn't tell us. But either way, she knows, apparently, that he's supposed to be called John. So she puts her foot down and says, I'm naming this kid, and his name is John. But they're not satisfied with that, so they say, well, wait a minute, verse 61. Nobody in your family has that name. Why would you pick that name? That doesn't make any sense. And so they made signs to his father. They're apparently trying to at least get Zechariah's opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to recruit Zechariah to their side. Right? Don't you want this boy named after you? Help us out here, right? So they inquire of him what he wants him to be called. And he can't speak, right? So verse 63 says he asks for a writing tablet so he can write something down. And he writes on this tablet, his name is John. And it says they all wonder. Elizabeth wants him to be called John. Zechariah wants him to be called John. Nobody in their family is called John. We don't understand why they want him to be called John. So already they're kind of taken aback by what is happening here. But then something dramatic happens in verse 64. In verse 64 it says, And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, Blessing God. So the man who's not been able to speak for at least nine months, maybe a little longer, the moment He affirms what the angel said. His name is John. God opens his mouth, looses his tongue, so that finally he is allowed to speak. And the first thing Zechariah does is not complain about how hard it was not to be able to talk for the better part of a year. The first thing he does is bless God. I imagine that there were days and weeks and months where Zechariah wished he had responded differently when the angel spoke to him. I I imagine for months he was kicking himself that he did not believe what Zechariah said. God promised him a son. In answer to his prayers, what he Dearly and desperately desired. And when God said through the angel, I've heard your prayer, I'm giving you a son, he he didn't believe it. So now that he can finally talk, he's eager, he's ready to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, to speak well of the Lord. And so he starts blessing God. And verse 65 says, And fear came on all their neighbors. Now that might seem like a strange reaction at first, unless you think about it. Anytime something really clearly supernatural happens where you can see it, it's unsettling. It's a little disturbing to be reminded that there is a power in the universe so to speak that is far beyond our understanding or explanation to see God so dramatically at work is a little bit scary because he's so much greater than us so much more powerful than us it reminds us how much we are at his mercy and how much we are not in control so it's one thing to know somebody who is uh, you know, sick and you're, you're praying for them, you're praying for God to heal them, and one day they go to the doctor and the doctor says, we can't explain it, but the cancer is gone, we don't know. I mean, like, that's, that's dramatic, that's clearly an answer to prayer, that is a supernatural thing. But think about if you were with that person, and they had a cancer you could see, some kind of tumor you could see on their body. And you stood in their presence and closed your eyes and prayed for them to God, forgot to heal them. And when you opened your eyes, you couldn't see it anymore. Wouldn't you be a little unnerved? Wouldn't that be a little, a little, a little scary? Because the power of God. Has just been put on display right in front of you. That's what happened to them. They've been around John for months, me, Zechariah for months, unable to speak. And all of a sudden, right there in front of them, his mouth is opened at the naming of his son, and he starts praising God. People are scared by that. They're, they're unnerved and unsettled by that. And so what it says happens next is that. All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? I mean, if Elizabeth had just had a child with no no angelic announcement, no supernatural event, no unusual name, nothing like that, everybody would have talked about that as it was. But with all of this going on around it, everybody's talking. Everybody's asking questions. Everybody's trying to sort this out. Everybody wants to know what kind of kid is this going to be? What, what is God doing? That this child would be born in these circumstances, with these signs, with these supernatural events. Luke tells us what was probably clear to those uh, who witnessed this at the end of verse 66. The hand of the Lord was with him. God's got to be with this child in some kind of special way for all of this to play out the way that it has. And our question, I think, is why did God do it this way? John the Baptist could have been John the Baptist without the angel telling Zechariah in advance about the birth. He could have been John the Baptist without his father being unable to speak for months and then all of a sudden being able to speak when he named his son. Why all the attention? Why all the drama? Why all the the supernatural bringing people's focus and attention on John such that from the moment when he's born, people are talking about what's going to happen with this kid? What what is he going to do? What is is he going to grow up to be? Here's the reason why God did all this. It's because his very purpose for sending john was to use john to draw people's attention to jesus and so the more people are thinking about john and looking at john and asking questions about john the more people are going to be paying attention to john when john says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world John tells us himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 31, he says, For this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he, talking about Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. John's whole purpose is to point to Jesus. So the more attention God brings to John through John's birth, the more people then are going to be, again, looking at John when John points to Jesus, and therefore the more people will be pointed to Jesus. That's why all the drama and the interest around the birth of John. But the birth of John is not the climax, is not the point, is not the high point of the story. In fact, when Zechariah finally gets a chance to speak, he doesn't even speak first about his son. He speaks first about Jesus. When Mary came to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, we got to hear Elizabeth's response. But Zechariah wasn't allowed to talk. We haven't heard what Zechariah thinks yet about the birth of Jesus that is soon to come. And that's exactly what he begins to talk about when he finally gets a chance to speak in verse 67. It says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Remember we saw last time when Elizabeth was also filled with the Spirit and spoke about Mary. That that means that she's speaking for God. right? She's speaking God's words. She's speaking the truth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just like Paul is when he writes Ephesians, just like Matthew is when he writes his gospel. So now Zechariah is filled with the Spirit, and he's prophesying. He's speaking on God's behalf. And what does he have to say? Well, first, he speaks about Jesus. He prophesies about the birth of Christ, which is just a few months away at this point. And he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, John, or me, Zechariah is speaking as though Jesus has already been born, God, because God has already set this process in motion. Right? Jesus is in Mary's womb; he's about to be born, and so Zechariah is speaking as in the past tense, as though this has already happened, because God has already begun to bring it about. So he speaks first of God visiting and redeeming his people. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been longing for. For redemption, for salvation. The the great moment of redemption in the Old Testament, of course, is uh, their redemption from slavery in Egypt. They've been in bondage for 400 years, and God rescued them. God brought them out. God brought them through the Red Sea. But since then, after God brought them into the land, and they turned against the Lord, and they worshipped idols, they were removed from the land, sent out into exile, and when God allowed them to come back and rebuild the temple, things just never were like they had been before, and now in this day, in Zechariah's day, they're living in the promised land, yes, but they're under the thumb of the Romans, there's Roman soldiers everywhere, there's a Roman governor who's in charge of their land, they're they're Nowhere near their glory days that they had under David and Solomon. But God had promised them a king who would come from David's line, who would sit on David's throne, who would establish peace and justice and righteousness, who would deliver them from their enemies. And Zechariah knows that those promises are finally being fulfilled that God himself has come among them, that God himself is redeeming them. Verse 69, he says that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn, of course, representing strength, power, might. God has raised up a mighty salvation, a strong salvation for us. He's going to deliver us. He's going to rescue us. And he has raised up this salvation for us in David's house, from David's line. Just like Isaiah prophesied. In fact, that's what he says next in verse 70. That God has done this as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Zechariah is no doubt thinking of prophecies like the one we Read earlier this morning from Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Right. And he will sit upon the throne of David, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Before that, it said the people were rejoicing because the rod of their oppressor has been broken. God is rescuing them from their enemies. They thought. Finally, God's going to rescue us from Rome. But Jesus came knowing that they had a greater oppressor than Rome. They had a greater enemy they needed deliverance from. Sin. Death. Satan. Jesus came to cast out Satan. Jesus came to conquer death. Jesus came to pay for sin. Because Jesus came to rescue us from our enemies. That's what verse 71 says, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 72 to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So now he goes back even before Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those prophets. <clears throat> he goes all the way back to what God promised to Abraham. Because he promised Abraham that he would give him numerous offspring, but also a particular offspring who would possess the gate of his enemies. He he promised Abraham that they would dwell in the land that God had promised them, the land of Canaan. And he promised Abraham that not only would he bless Abraham, but that through Abraham he would bless all the families of the earth. That's what he's doing now through the coming of Jesus. Jesus comes not just to rescue Israel from Rome, but to rescue Jews and Gentiles from their slavery to sin and from their fear of death by conquering Satan, who had the power of death. Jesus comes to rescue us from our enemies. He comes in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. He comes to save us and rescue us. Why? What is that salvation for? What is that deliverance for? Verse 74 and 75. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. We are saved and rescued and forgiven and set free, not so that we can do whatever we want, but so that we can freely serve the Lord. So that we can freely worship Him. This too goes back to the Exodus. Think about what happened in the Exodus. When Moses went to Pharaoh, he told Pharaoh, let my people go. We remember that part, right? Let my people go. Why? That we may serve the Lord in the wilderness. That we can offer sacrifices and worship our God. Pharaoh says no. When Pharaoh finally lets them go after the final plague, And they're released from Egypt. And God leads them out in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And he leads them through the Red Sea on dry land. And then he brings that sea crashing down on their enemies who tried to oppress them, who had enslaved them, who pursued them, trying to bring them back into Egypt. And they see the Egyptian army dead on the shore of the Red Sea. What then do they do? They worship the Lord who's rescued them. Now they're free to serve Him, to worship Him. Now it's time to build the tabernacle. Now it's time to offer sacrifices. Now it's time to establish the priesthood so that we can worship the Lord in holiness. Zechariah says, that time is coming for us where we can be delivered from our enemies so that we can rightly, truly, faithfully worship and serve The Lord. That's why he saves us. Finally, John, or excuse me, Zechariah. I'm going to get that right one time. (laughs) Finally, Zechariah speaks about the birth of his son. And he ties the birth of his son to the birth of Jesus because the reason the birth of his son is so significant is because of what his role will be in relation to to the birth of Christ. He says verse 76, "And you, child, talking about his own son now. You child will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways." John's purpose, John's calling is to prepare the way for Jesus and to prepare the people to meet Jesus. And not only that, but verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John, you are going to be their teacher. You are going to be their instructor. You are going to be the one who tells them, this is how your sins can be forgiven. This is how you can receive salvation. That's what he's teaching them when he says, behold, behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, guys, we've been offering lambs as sacrifices for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. That's what God told us to do. But the lamb that can really and truly take away our sin, the sacrifice that can deal with our sin finally, once for all, and not just ours, but the sins of the whole world, the sins of anybody who trusts in this sacrifice, in this lamb, He's here. That's Him. Jesus of Nazareth. He prepares the people by calling them to repentance, by calling them to baptism, to signify that they're ready for the coming of the Lord, that they want to be cleansed from their sins. He points them to Jesus so that they might receive that forgiveness. And then he says verse 78 and 79, that this is, all, this is because of the tender mercy of our God. It's because God's merciful to us. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In other words, up until now, We've been sitting in darkness, like Isaiah talks about. The people who have been dwelling in darkness, on them a light shines. In the same way, he says, we've, we've been in the darkness. We've been in the shadow of death. But the sunrise is here. The light has come. And not only is he coming to give light, he's coming to guide us, the end of verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace the way of peace with God, the way of peace with one another. Peace with God as our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God whom we had made our enemy by rebelling against Him. But despite our enmity against God, God showed mercy to us and sent His Son for us so that we could have peace with Him through the forgiveness of our sins. And, and when God gives us forgiveness, He also reconciles us to one another brings us together establishes peace among all those who put their trust in the lamb this is the good news of christmas that is what not only luke but the whole bible has been building up to peace forgiveness light life and joy for all those who look to the child born to mary the Son of God and Son of Man, who came to secure our salvation. For all those who will say to him, I trust you, I'll follow you. May all of us hear and heed the words of Zechariah, not only about his own son, but about the Son of God. And with Zechariah, let us rejoice in the coming of our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Let's pray.